Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Happy Easter Sunday, Macquarie. Happy Resurrection Sunday to you and your families. Uh, The team here at Macquarie, we've been praying for you uh, at this interesting time uh, that God's peace would be with you over this Easter season and off into the foreseeable future. If you are homeschooling your children at the moment, my own specific prayers are with you at the moment. Uh, We are homeschooling our son, Parker. He's six years old. And uh, let me just say, at the end of this, when everything calms down, I'm going to be talking to my local member of parliament recommending that teachers get paid a minimum of $1 million per annum. Uh, Church buildings around Australia might be empty for Easter, but guess what? So is the grave. Christ is risen, and we celebrate that today on this Easter Sunday, and we're pleased that you can join with us online as well. Uh, If you've got your Bibles with you, please turn with me to John chapter 20. Uh, If you, uh, on the Macquarie online portal there, you'll see a tab. You can select that and uh, look up the Bible verse there as well if you're into all that tech stuff. God bless you. Uh, Look, I've I've figured out this week, I've got one thing in common with Jesus uh, this Easter. This is my first time out of the house for the last three days. So there's a real uh, real affinity with him uh, at the moment. Uh, We had a a fairly quiet night at home last night, and I'm assuming a lot of you did as well. Uh, About two months ago, when I told people in my workplace that on a Saturday night I stayed at home watching Netflix, they said things like, hey, Craig, you're sad and you're a loser. Uh, Now they're saying things like, I'm a hero and I'm an inspirational Australian. So um, if that's what you're doing as well, God bless you, you're doing your bit for king and country. Um, Everyone's been asking me about what introverts do for fun. (laughs) They're all coming out of the closet now, aren't they? Well, let me tell you the first rule of introvert club, and that is... There is no such thing as introvert club. Um, Thank goodness. Uh, My people, we don't do clubs. Uh, We don't want to get together. We don't want to interact. It's it's just just awkward. Look, I will give you one introvert tip, one hot tip for Easter. Uh, We told Parker that we hid one of his Easter eggs in the backyard wrapped in a $50 note and that we'd completely forgotten where we've put it. And uh, we had a lovely couple of hours indoors in peace and quiet. Okay, a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a history lesson for you. You know I'm a bit of a nerd in this stuff. So uh, the origins of Easter. There is some debate at the moment, and, and it's been going on for centuries, that Easter is a, Christian, that, that it's a pagan tradition that Christians have nicked. Um, Easter gets its name from Ostre, the old Germanic Saxon goddess of the rising dawn. And we've got an image of her that's up on the screen at the moment. And Ostre is where we also get the English word East which is the direction that the sun rises from. So east and Easter literally mean to shine a new light, a new dawn. Uh, You can also see in the image there a picture of an Easter bunny, which is the the embodiment of Easter. Uh, We've got bushland at the back of our place where we're living in Mourners Bay, and uh, there's been all these rabbits getting around out the back in the bushland, and, and they're laying just the tiniest little chocolate Easter eggs you can imagine. And, and frankly, they, they, they smell horrific. So, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not keen on those. Um, when rabbits breed, generally, they can have up to 6 to 14 offspring per month, every month. So the Saxons took a rabbit as a symbol for fertility, as a symbol for new life. And now we associate them with Easter. 
Uh, the Easter bunny represents new life. My mother took uh, far too long to share with me about the existence of the Easter bunny. And when she, when she finally broke the news, I got so emotional, I got so mad that I, I jumped in my car and I just drove and drove and, and, and drove. Of course, but hey kids, he's real, huh? <laughs> I'm just mucking around with you. <laughs> okay, so the origins of Easter. The imagery of Easter that has come through the centuries is of new light, of a new dawn, and of new life. And those terms carry weight into the Christian tradition of what we know as Easter today. And it's our understanding of Jesus with that new light, new dawn, new life that I want to look at in John 20. Here we go. Early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been moved from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, breathlessly panting, they've taken our master from the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple ran immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. Stooping to look in, he saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloths lying there, the kerchief, which was like a large napkin, used to cover Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but separate, neatly folded by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who'd gotten there first, went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence and believed. No one yet knew from the scripture that he had to rise from the dead and the disciples went back home. First thing first, let's have a look at some of these references. The other disciple, the one Jesus loved, the other disciple who outran Peter and the other disciple that reached the tomb first. Get this, the other disciple is John, the guy who's writing all of this. So old mate Johnny is banging on about how he's the disciple Jesus loved. He's the disciple that totally smoked Peter in a foot race. And initially, the passage reads like John's got a lot of issues. He's got this massive ego and, and no self-awareness. But remember in 2 Timothy 3, it says all scripture is God-breathed. So these words are inspired by God and there's a reason that God wants these references in there. So look, maybe John's an egomaniac, or maybe John is actually walking in humility by writing what the Spirit of God was prompting him to write, even at the expense of it looking like he was self-serving. Maybe God is using this to break a sense of false humility in John. Uh, it happens again in the Scriptures, in, in Numbers 12, verse 3. Moses says this. He's the author of Numbers, and he's writing about himself. He goes, Moses was a humble man, the most humble man on earth. Can I put it to you, based on this stuff, God is insisting that you declare what he declares over you. This Easter, maybe it's time to lay down your negative thoughts of yourself at the foot of the cross. 
Maybe it's time to take up the truth of who you are in God and speak that over yourself. Replace the soundtrack in your head that is continually trying to undermine you and start listening to what the Word of God says about who you are. I need to do this for myself. For for many years, I've had to push down and deny who I am in God. And, And maybe today, Easter, I need to just accept and declare that I am... I am a dancer. I, am, uh, I personify graceful and beautiful fluid movement. And enough of this ministry ruse. I've got a higher calling. I am this generation's Barishnikov. And I pray that you'll find who you are in God as well this Easter. Okay, let's move on quickly before people start throwing things at me. Uh, some context to what's happening in John 20. The religious elite, the enemies of Jesus in the day, wanted nothing more than to prove that Christ was a fraud. And the easiest way to do that would have been to turn up with Jesus' dead body on the fourth day, paraded around Jerusalem, here's your dead Messiah. You moronic, naive Christians have got it wrong. And if they could have done that, if the Jewish authorities, the Roman authorities, could have produced the body of Christ on the fourth day, Christianity as we know it, would have been dead at that point. So in John 20, verse 6, Simon Peter sees the linen cloth. He sees the napkin lying separately, folded neatly in a separate place. The napkin would have been wrapped around Jesus' head, but this cloth was folded up neatly and put away. The Bible says that Johnny, Usain Bolt, saw this, took one look at the evidence and believed. So what's so special about a napkin folded neatly off to the side. About four years ago, my wife Carly posted this photo onto social media. You'll see it there on your screen. It may not make sense to you, but to us, it marked the end of a journey, uh, a journey of chemotherapy and and radiation therapy and and all manner of uh, brutal cancer treatments. And at the end of it, the final day, she folded up her gown, she laid it down and she took a photo of it to signify that a particular season had come to an end. For, for us, that picture that you see there with the folded garment, it's a statement. We're not going to go through this again. And it got me thinking, why on earth would Jesus, the creator of the universe, the son of God, have taken the time to fold up his burial covering? Uh, when he died, his body would have been uh, wrapped or encased in a, a fabric cocoon. It would have been embalmed or or drenched in aloe vera uh, and spices. So three days later, he comes back to life. He exits that that cocoon. But the saviour of the world, our risen king, takes the time to fold up his burial napkin neatly and pop it to the side, separate from his grave clothes. I've been reading American theologian called Skip Hetzig and Bill Johnson from Bethel Church, you might know of him, They talk about an old Jewish custom. If you were invited out for a meal and you were treated favourably, or you particularly enjoyed the meal that you had eaten, at the end of the meal, you would crumple up your napkin and leave it on the plate or the platter from which you ate. It was a sign, I'd love to be invited here again. But if you weren't treated with hospitality, or if you weren't intending to finish your meal, you would fold your napkin neatly and set it to the side. 
And it was a way to communicate to the host without words that you are not going to partake of that meal again and you're not going to attend that event ever again. So by folding his burial cloth, Jesus is saying, I'm finished here. I will not revisit death and I will not taste death ever again. In Hebrews, the word says that Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted death once and for all. It's finished. Let's keep reading in John 20. We'll go to verse 19. Later on that day, the disciples gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, they'd locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered, in the original language, that word entered is, he just appeared. He stood among them and said, peace to you. Then he showed them his hands with the piercings and his side where the spear went. The disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. So this is the evening of the Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. That morning he'd appeared to Mary Magdalene, but now he turns up to all the disciples at once. The doors are locked, the disciples are terrified, and then Jesus, seemingly out of nowhere, appears before them and offers them peace. He didn't knock on the door, he didn't even open the door, he just was simply there in spite of the barriers. And today, because of Easter, in your life, in my life, Jesus can get where no one else can go. He can access and bring life and speak peace to the locked parts of your life, to the fearful parts of your inner being. He can go where no counsellor, no psychologist, no uh, meditation app, no doctor can go. And he can reach you anywhere at any time. Through his resurrection, Jesus has conquered death, he's conquered sin, and he's conquered fear. And he can do what no one else can do. And all the, all the complex layers of our lives, which neither you nor I can understand, they're all familiar territory to him. Anything that we are struggling with, he has seen it and addressed it before with his peace. His resurrection is our resurrection. In Romans, we read that we've been buried in his death. Yes, there's things that have to die in us. But the reward is that we've also been raised up in his resurrection. We talked at the start of the message about the old Germanic meaning of Easter being the dawn of a new light. If we have a quick look at Ephesians 5 verse 14, it says this, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead and Christ will give you light. And today, Easter Sunday, we celebrate in Christ the new light that he has burst forth into the world, the new dawn that has come with his rising. Easter is a great wake-up call to remember that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again about 2,000 years ago, not just for forgiveness and salvation, but so that we could live what the Bible calls his resurrection life today. Uh, N.T. Wright is one of my heroes. He's an Anglican bishop from England. And he writes this about Easter. It is the moment toward which everything was rushing and from which everything emerged new. 
When we wake up to God, we rise up into that new life, that new light, that newness that he can bring. Uh, Jesus didn't die so that we could have a good example to follow. He didn't bear the weight of sin to teach us coping mechanisms or to provide us with a guide on resilience. He bore the curse so that the curse of sin, the brokenness of sin, would die with him. And we don't have to suffer through it any longer. We don't have to keep fighting the war. We don't have to keep struggling. We can fold up our napkins and never visit oppression again. Uh, I want to finish with an incredible story that I read this week. And there's themes in it that will draw out for Easter. For 30 years, Japanese soldier Hiru Anoda was stuck in a time warp known as 1944. The world changed around him, but Anoda stayed the same. We've got an image of him up on the screen there. In May of 1942, Anoda was drafted into the Japanese military just after America entered World War II. Fighting had escalated to a global scale, uh, and Anoda was taught to stay alive by the, the Imperial Japanese Army, stay alive at all costs and not get captured. To be captured as a Japanese soldier was a dishonour, and death was a higher value. So the Imperial Japanese Army had taken control of the Philippines at this time. They'd gained control from the Philippine government and the American uh, military bases and forces stationed in the nation. And on Boxing Day in 1944, Anoda was sent to the small island of Lubang off the coast of Manila in the Philippines. And he was sent there with just two orders. One, don't die by your own hand. And two, hamper any and all enemy attacks. They told Anoda that it would take him 100 years, it would take Japan 100 years to win the war and that Japan would never surrender until every last Japanese citizen had been killed. Anoda managed to single-handedly destroy Lubang's airport landing strip and blow up the harbour pier to prevent enemy landings. He was one of the last Japanese soldiers to stop fighting World War II. He stayed at his post on Lubang Island for 29 years, long after the Imperial Japanese Army had surrendered to the Allies aboard USS Missouri in September of 1945. Whenever a message was telegraphed to him stating that the war had finished, he believed it to be propaganda or a hoax, and he kept watch as a faithful soldier for the Imperial Japanese Army for nearly three decades, long after the war had finished. In 1974, Norio Suzuki, a Japanese adventurer who was travelling the world, landed in Lubang with the only intent to meet Hiru Anoda. Anoda had become somewhat of a hero in Japan without even knowing it. He had this notoriety. Uh, and Suzuki arrived in February of 74. He found Anoda in the jungle and he told him of the war's conclusion. But Anoda didn't believe him. He thought Suzuki was a spy. So he told Suzuki, I won't leave this island until I'm relieved of my duties by a superior officer. So Suzuki went to Japan, got in contact with the Japanese government, told them what happened, and the government tracked down Anoda's commanding officer from 30 years prior, Major Yoshimi Tangaguchi, who was at that stage a very elderly bookseller, and they flew him to Lubang Island to ask Anoda to stand down 
and come home. So March 9th, 1974, 29 years after the war was finished, Anoda, who was 52 years old at that point, emerged from the jungle. There's an image of him up on the screen, walking out of the jungle with the media, still dressed in his tattered official uniform with his service rifle and his sword, ready to accept the order from his commander, telling him to lay down his arms and surrender. Maybe you're watching on this Easter Sunday at home and you've been fighting a needless war for years. Maybe you've been putting up resistance to God, to truth, to freedom, thinking that there's something to be won, a battle to be won, something to be conquered. It is conquered today. Easter Sunday is our celebration that Christ has conquered sin, he has conquered death, he has conquered brokenness and fear, and that freedom can be yours. Maybe people have delivered messages to you like this in the past and you've written them off as propaganda, you've written them off as a hoax. But in Christ, he offers you peace this Easter. Peace that passes understanding, peace that, that screams in the face of your circumstances. And we've all got circumstances going on at the moment. And we need that peace. And there are hundreds of people watching alongside you today, part of Macquarie, that have laid down their guns, they've surrendered to God, and we are now walking in the peace that he offers, that only he can offer. Easter's a beautiful time to surrender. A beautiful time to lay down your fears, lay down your brokenness, lay down your sins, lay down your past at the feet of the cross that is now empty because our King has risen. Can I pray for you? Father God, this Easter, thank you. Thank you for what you went through, Jesus. Thank you for doing that on our behalf so that we may access the freedom and the forgiveness and the peace that you fought for and you won. You are our resurrected King and we honour you today. Today of all days, we commemorate and remember the sacrifice you made and the victory you bought through your blood. We love you, God. And I, I pray for everyone who's watching at home right now that this week they would have a sense of your presence, a sense of the great gift that you have given us in salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to close off with John 11, 25 and 26. It says this, this is Jesus speaking. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In Acts, Peter the, uh, the disciple that the other disciple smoked in the foot race in the 1500 metres, says this to a crowd of thousands. He says these words, The God you have been considering from afar has come near to you in Jesus and he's done something which gives new shape to world history and new meaning to human life. We stand here today in that new life that God gave us as he brought Jesus close to us. Maybe you've been considering God from afar, uh, 
But in Jesus, he draws near. God offers you that new life. Maybe today, of, of all days, Easter Sunday, maybe today is a good day to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who submits their life to the love and leadership of God. This Easter, no matter how many, how many locks you have on your heart, Jesus can enter in and give you peace. No matter how many wars you've been fighting, you can lay down your weapons and find peace in him. And if that's you, I'd love to pray with you this morning, or this evening, this Easter Sunday. You'll see a prayer request button at the bottom of the screen there. And if today's the day you'd like to become a Christian, I'd ask you to press that. You can send us a quick message. If you're comfortable to, you can send some details for us to get in touch with you. Uh, the pastoral team here will touch base with you, uh, will pray for you. If we can offer you any resource or any help to get you started on this journey, we would love this Easter Sunday, we would love to take that step with you. Thank you, God, for Easter. Bless everybody here, everyone who's watching. Give them a great week. Thank you for Easter and we honour you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.